we're going to think about just that one, one verse that um, was part of our reading earlier, Colossians 1 verse 15. Colossians 1 verse 15. This verse says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Now, in biblical thought, that means two things. Firstly, it means Jesus shows us who God is. Secondly, it means Jesus shows us who we should be as human beings. And we're going to just think about the first one today. The next one we'll think about next time. So today, Jesus shows us exactly who God is. Now, throughout human history, across all ages, cultures, all places, human beings have always searched for God. We want to know if a God exists. We want to know what that God is like, how he or she or it or they act. And if at all possible, we want to know how we can relate to this God or these gods, whatever it may be. Now, some of, some of our human ideas about God have been quite frankly depressing, some of them quite terrifying. Uh, sometimes our conclusions about God have actually created more questions than they've answered. Um, and some of our responses, you know, the way we therefore respond to these ideas we have about God, sometimes those things, of, those responses of ours bind us up in chains, in fears, in anxieties, or they can be used to control people or they lead to divisions, even violence in the name of whatever God it may be. Now, for, because of that, some people have actually just concluded now the whole thing is just, it just causes more harm than good. And they've kind of given up on this idea of God. So in a world full of different religions and spiritualities and theologies, not all of them helpful, uh, what is it that Christianity says that would make it any different to any of the other ways of searching for God? Well, the announcement of Christianity is actually that God is not trying to hide. In fact, quite the opposite. God has come to meet us. God has come to enable us to find him and see him in the most concrete and real and understandable way. Christianity says that, that uh, the world has seen God face to face because God became human and God dwelt here among us in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. As verse 15 puts it, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. In other words, what we otherwise would not see, God, it would be invisible to us, we now do see in Jesus because Jesus has made God visible to us. Even more than that, he has made God visible in a way that we can understand because we've seen him in a human life, just like ours. So God does not need to be guessed at anymore. Of course, there's some things we, we can't grasp about God, many things, but we don't need to guess at what, you know, we, could, we can know exactly now what God is like, how God acts, and how he relates to us by looking at Jesus. Chapter 2, verse 9, says it like this. In Christ, all the fullness of God dwells in bodily form. In other words, the whole picture of God is seen in a human life in that person, Jesus, who was living in this world among us 2,000 or so years ago. And this letter emphasizes more than once, not just a bit of God is seen in Jesus, but the fullness of God, Paul says. So it's not, it's not, God is not partly like Jesus and partly not, as if Jesus was sort of God's good side or something. It's not that. God is not sometimes like Jesus, but sometimes not, as if 
You know, he's got a kind of split personality. God has not changed from who we saw in Jesus, as if, you know, he was just acting out a temporary role while Jesus was here, but now he's something else. No, God is fully, exactly, precisely like what we see in Jesus. Always has been, always will be, because Jesus, we're told here, is the image of God. Someone has put it like this, there is no other God behind the back of Jesus, you know, waiting to pop out and surprise us with something different. Jesus is God's autobiography. Jesus is God's self-explanation to us. Jesus is the fullness of God in the flesh of a human being. And if our ideas about God, therefore, don't look much like Jesus, then we've got it wrong somehow. Uh, We read earlier, the letter to the Hebrews begins with these words, Uh, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets, many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, Jesus, who he says is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of God's being. In John 14, one of the disciples asked Jesus, Lord, show us the Father. Show us God, in other words. And in reply, Jesus said this. He said, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you for such a long time, anyone, he said, who has seen me has seen the Father. In other words, Jesus was saying, anyone who's seen me has seen God. John chapter 1, verse 18, puts it like this. John says, no one had ever seen God before, but Christ, the one and only Son, who is at the Father's side, has now made him known. We know clearly now what God is like because he's exactly like Jesus. And it was quite a surprising revelation when God appeared here in flesh. Jesus was quite unlike many of our ideas and assumptions about God. In particular, Paul in these verses in Colossians, verse 15 to 20, and we'll look at, we'll look at all these verses over the weeks. Um, Paul says in particular, he says, so he says, look, we see God in Christ and then he tells us what we see. He says, we, d- we discover that in Jesus, God is a God who reconciles and makes peace in the world by the giving of himself on the cross. So he'll say all that in sort of verses 20 to 22. So, so Paul says, look, God becomes a human life, Jesus, and then he gives that life for us all. As one theologian has put it, he is forever now the, the crucified God, the God who gave himself for the world. Uh, There's a poet, Edward Shillito, and he was reflecting on uh, the experience of of finding God, searching for and finding God in the midst of the absolute horrors of the First World War. And and the poet's thinking about the scars of Jesus, that Jesus, we're told, forever carries those scars in his hands, his feet, uh, and his side. And, uh, and, And in the poem, he reflects in his own sufferings in the First World War of how he found Jesus. This is just some of the poem. If we have never sought, we seek thee now. Thine eyes burn through the dark, our only stars. We must have sight of thorn marks in thy brow. We must have thee, O Jesus of the scars. The heavens frighten us, they are too calm. In all the universe we have no place. Our wounds are hurting us. Where is the balm? Lord Jesus, By thy scars we know thy grace. 
The other gods were strong, but thou wast weak. They rode, but thou didst stumble to a throne. But to our wounds only God's wounds can speak, and not a god has wounds, but thou alone. Now we might think it a bit oxymoronic to speak about the vulnerability of God, you know, the self-sacrificial nature of the divine, or the wounds of the creator of the universe, or the scars of the Son of God. We might think, well, how does that go together? But the revelation of Jesus is actually precisely that, that where we see God actually at his most real is in the love that meant he was ready to be wounded, pierced for our transgressions, crucified on the cross for us. That's where we see ultimately what God's love means and what God's love does. Uh, the Apostle Paul was you know, contemplating how different this is to the world's thinking, to our thinking really. And he was ex explaining it like this when he wrote to the Corinthian church. He said, the cross seems like foolishness and weakness to you know, the inherited thinking of the ages really where power is a very different thing. But he says, uh, at the beginning of his letter, he says, but for those who are being saved, the cross is, we realise, is the power and the wisdom of God, because he says God's weakness, the cross, is actually his great strength. And God's seeming foolishness to, you know, our natural thinking, the world's thinking, that foolishness is, in fact, God's great wisdom, the cross. Because he says the cross is actually the power of God for the salvation to anyone who believes. So ultimately it's in the crucifixion that the nature of God and of God's power and wisdom is seen. The German theologian Jürgen Moltmann wrote this. He said, when the crucified Jesus is called the image of the invisible God, the meaning is that this is God on the cross and that God is like this towards us. Uh, I read another writer who put it like this. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. And if you want to know what Jesus is like, look at the cross. That's what God is like. Jesus washed the dirty feet of Judas who would betray him. Or Peter who denied him. And the disciples who all deserted him. That's what God is like. No matter where you've been in your life, no matter what you've thought of God in your life. You know, he's the one who comes and washes your feet. So that you can re-establish that relationship with him. And know his love and forgiveness. That's why Jesus came to this world for us. So that you and I no matter where we've been in our life up till now, we can know his love for us, his forgiveness of sins, and he will then help us onwards in the next steps and beyond. Now, when Mark wrote his gospel, uh, Mark had his own way of really emphasising this. I, I love Mark's gospel. Mark tells us that Jesus, throughout his life, held back from saying who he was. Uh, he actually repeatedly for, forbid people from actually saying that he was the son of God. Uh, because, um, maybe because no one, I think probably because no one could say it correctly until they'd seen what would ultimately happen on the cross. You know, like Peter or the crowds in some of the passages in the Gospels, we would be the same. You know, we would get the wrong idea of what it meant. We would think of him as a, as a king in, in just wrong categories. We would have looked for the wrong kind of things in Jesus. It's only at the very end of Mark's gospel, as Jesus stands alone and he's on trial, he is utterly vulnerable. He's, been, he's given himself to, over to his enemies. He's stripped of any kind of earthly idea of power. 
He's bound up, he's beaten, he's destined to die at the hands of his enemies. He is unmistakably at that point in Mark's Gospel, he is not what the world thinks of as powerful. Okay? Only then in Mark's Gospel does Jesus finally just speak plainly and say who he is. It's only then, there's not a shred of the world's idea of greatness about Jesus there. Only then when he's just emptied himself, he's, he's giving himself in grace and love for the world. There's no room for misunderstanding on our part. It's only then in Mark's Gospel that the high priest says, Are you the Christ, the Son of God? And finally Jesus says, he uses the divine name actually, he says, I am. That is who I am. Kind of like, behold the man. And it doesn't look anything like what we think power should look like. And Jesus says, that's exactly who I am. This is God. And this is what God is like for you. Now, I, I, I'm going to read something now to you from a book written by the former Archbishop of Canterbury, Rowan Williams. This is, this is, I read this years ago. It's in his book, Christ on Trial, which is a really good little book. Um, and this little passage from it has stuck with me ever since I read it. Um, so Rowan Williams says this. Throughout Mark's Gospel, Jesus holds back from revealing who he is because it seems he cannot believe that there are words that will tell the truth about him in the mouths of others. What will be said of him is bound to be untrue. Whatever is said will take on the colouring of the world's insanity. It will be another bid for the world's power another identification with the unaccountable tyrannies that decide how things shall be. Jesus, described in the words of this world, would be a competitor for space in it, part of its untruth. This is where the meaning of the trial becomes clear, where we see what the truth is that this trial establishes, the trial of Jesus he's talking about. Jesus before the high priest has no leverage in the world. He is denuded of whatever power he might have had, Stripped and bound before the court, he has no stake in how the world organises itself. He is definitely outside the system of the world's power and the world's language of power. He is going to die because that is what the world has decided. It is at this moment and this moment only that he speaks plainly about who he is. He names himself with the name of the God of Israel, I am. Mark, he says, is inviting us to think again about what we mean by transcendence. God's I am can only be heard for what it really is when it has no trace of human power left to it, when it appears as something utterly different from human authority, even human liberty, when it is spoken by a captive under sentence of death. God's voice here is audible only when the language of this world has fallen away once and for all around the figure of this prisoner on trial. And he says this is how and why we can hear him name himself with God's name. Jesus breaks the silence at this moment in the trial because only now can what he says be heard. There is little or no danger that we shall now mistake what he means that we shall describe him in words that reflect our own aspirations. He is who he is, and we can do nothing but let our imagination and our language be reshaped by him. Jesus has held back from declaring who he is all through Mark's Gospel, because up until the trial, he was still able to do and say things, to be someone acting alongside others in the world. 
Up to this point, it was still possible to misunderstand him as a great man, a wonder worker, someone who might compete successfully with other sorts of power in the world. But not now. If we are prepared to listen for a moment to the extraordinary idea that this is indeed the very self of God standing before the court, it is we who are silenced and it is we who have our expectations overturned. End of quote. I know it's quite a long quote. We live in a world where wrong ideas about God abound. You know, a world where God is imagined as a tyrant or a recluse, uh, a power-crazed monster, a nationalist, uh, a commercialised product to make you feel a bit better, uh, a warm, fuzzy feeling, or some vague notion that doesn't really feel like anything in the sky. Probably more common and a bit closer to home, God is often for us just a big version of ourselves and our own prejudices and thinking. So I believe we need as much as ever to see the living, breathing, sharing, suffering, dying, and then risen Jesus Christ, who actually is the image of the invisible God. And by seeing God there in Christ, we will, as the verses following will say, we will realise and see that the God of this universe is a God who works to reconcile things together, to make peace, and this is the most amazing thing of all, that he does that at great cost to himself by giving himself in the death of Christ. Only love does that sort of thing for you. All right? You know, I'll put it like this, only love is crazy enough to care enough about someone that they'd die for them. And that's exactly what we see in Christ. God's love is like that. Jesus came to make visible what we struggle to see. The fact that God is a God who's willing to be born as a frail human baby, even though he's the creator of the universe. A God who carried all our sins on his own shoulders on the cross, even though none of them were his. A God who shared in our sorrows as well as our joys. You know, he's not just a fair weather friend who's with you when things are good, but oh, things are tough now. He's with us in our sorrows and our joys. He's a God who tasted death for us, the ultimate act of love. And then he rose again. Why? So that he could rescue us from the possibility of death being our final sentence. So that it won't be. Like he rose, we too will rise in Christ. He is a God who came to restore all things to himself. So as you journey through your life today, this great unveiling of God to the world in Jesus is for you too, for your salvation, for your forgiveness, your new life, your hope, your joy, your future. Christ is the image of the invisible God so that you can now, today, look to Jesus and live. So that you need not wonder anymore about what God might think or do, but you can come to Jesus and see him there, even on the cross, for you. God carrying your sins there. God taking the sin away for you. God risen from the dead for you so that you can be made new and so that you can be raised even from your deathbed. That's your God. That's our God. Dwelling with us 2,000 years ago so that we can live with him and in his love forever. One day, we're told, even we will see him face to face. Christ is the image of the invisible God.
And that is very good news for all of us. Amen.